Good morning and welcome to Water and Stone. My name is uh, Dieter Randolph and I'm really happy to be back with you again for another installment in our Sunday School series. We have been digging into some really interesting things throughout the Bible and starting last time we were able to get into the New Testament and talk about some things about the life and teaching and some stories about Jesus. And this is a really big deal. There are so many reasons why he's the, the hero of our story, to, uh, for one thing, but obviously so much more. But we're going to find out about the so much more together as we go forward. The story that I've chosen to talk about today is such a short story, and it seems really straightforward, but there's so much going on in there. And that reminds me that there are so many things in life that seem like they just are moments that go by that have so much beauty and so much importance and so much grace in them. My advanced homework for you before we even get into anything else is take a minute, look around. There might be some things that are eh, easy to take for granted that have lessons in store for you. Something big about what you need to be doing next is probably staring you right in the face. So take a moment, take a breath, and remember that wherever you go, you're with God. And with that idea in mind, let's begin with our opening prayer. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is, and so it does. Amen. So, the story that I want to talk to you about today is Jesus rescues a woman caught in adultery. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? It's in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And it's the cast of first stone passage. I know you've heard this one. This is a Sunday school one. This is one that has come up a lot of times. And I think that it's really interesting because, as I said a minute ago, it seems like a very straightforward story about how we should be nice to each other and how awesome Jesus is. And those things are in there for sure. But if that's all you get out of that, you're missing so many important things that really are going to come in handy as we learn more about the Gospels, as we learn more about who we are, what we're supposed to be doing, how it all works. You are being given some really important building blocks in this moment, and so it's important to seize that moment. There's a lot about Jesus' example as well as his theology. There's a lot about how we can treat other people. There's a lot about problem solving in general, if you really look at it. This is where the cast the first stone idiom comes from, obviously, but there's so much more going on that makes us who we are and gives us what we need to get to who we want to be, who we ought to be, who God made us to be. There's a lot going on. And so with that in mind, I can read you the whole passage, John 8, 1 through 11, because it's really, really short. So I want to do that for you. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple area, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began teaching them. 
Now the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery, and after placing her in the center of the courtyard, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? Now, they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger, he wrote on the ground. When they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, when they heard this, they began leaving one by one, beginning, beginning with the older ones. And when he was left alone, and the woman was where she was in the center of the courtyard, and straightening up again, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, do not sin anymore. That's the whole story. Like I said, it's one you've heard before, but there's some really interesting things going on there. Now, to set the stage historically, and even as the, the Bible passage notes, this whole thing is a trap. They're trying, the scribes and Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus, because at this point in the story, John chapter 8, he's already a troublemaker. They'd already like to get him out of the way, right? The basic idea, the, the context of the trap is the Mosaic law, Moses' law, the, the stuff that we've seen before, calls for stoning. But the truth is that at this point, no one was enforcing those laws in Judea. In the, it's a Roman territory. Nobody was enforcing these death sentence kind of things. Because remember, the, the Jewish people and the Jewish laws are not what gets to, to carry the day. They don't get to make the law laws that people live under. In Judea, only the uh, Roman authorities could pronounce a death sentence. So either Jesus is not a prophet because he's not upholding Moses and all of that kind of thing, or if he says, yeah, killer, he's pitiless, yeah, a terrible guy, and he's breaking the law. So one way or another, they feel like they got him. But the thing is, we're learning something really important in this moment about about Jesus, about how he operates, about how the whole thing works. But before we get into it, I love the, the visual of it. And I think that it's something that people don't think about a lot. They're saying all the stuff that they're saying. They're asking him these trap questions. They're trying to get him to say one way or another, and they know they got him, or they think they know they got him. And Jesus starts writing on the ground. You read that passage before? When you read it or when you heard the story, did you think like I did, what in the world was he writing and what would I give just to have a screenshot of that? You know what I mean? What was he writing? And remember, he, he lifts his head up again. He straightens up and he says, let he's about sin, cast the first stone, and all that kind of stuff. And then he bends down and he starts writing some more. And even just that part, I find completely and utterly fascinating because in my mind, I go, what was he writing? And we can even back up a little bit further and go, remember, in this time period, not a lot of people could read and write. The fact that he can says something interesting. 
the message for you. And in this little moment, this little historical note, the message for you is you want to be prophetic in your life. You want to be in touch with the answers. You want to remember who you are as a child of God. Part of it is do your homework. It might be that you need to pick up another book. It might be that you need to write some things down. It might be that you got to go back to school. Now, like I said before, there is a simple relationship that you have with God. The point of all of that learning and learning how to read and write is not to uh, increase your toolkit, but rather, if you really go to school, if you really are a student of life, if you really have beginner's mind, You're the kind of person who knows how to get out of the way of their own ego. You're the kind of person who says, I don't know everything. I am teachable. So the beginning of this journey, get yourself to the place where you can be teachable. But as I said, I I think that the really interesting thing is that we will never know what he was writing. I think that's beautiful in a way. I kind of like the mystery of it and all of that. But don't you think the people in that room, in the courtyard rather, the people in that area, let's say, could have benefited from whatever it was he was writing down? Because you know it wasn't a grocery list. It's probably something that they could have learned from. (laughs) This is Jesus we're talking about. I happen to believe that anything he would have written could have been earth-shaking, especially to the people in that situation, don't you think? And yet, they were so busy finding guilt, assigning punishments, figuring out how to trap Jesus, getting their own agendas across that they missed something wonderful. Next time, we're going to talk about... um, Palm Sunday and the idea that the stones cry out and, and all of that kind of thing. But, but just as a little bit of a teaser, instead of a spoiler, we'll call it a teaser. One of the things that we're going to talk about is the basic idea that the truth of the universe is written on every wall, on every face, in every moment. There's something for you to learn if you take a moment and really look at what's going on around you. The way shower has written in the ground, so to speak. But you got to be a reader if you want to read, you know? It's kind of part of it. How many times has there been some kind of ego thing going on, some kind of agenda that we had that kept us from reading the writing on the wall, so to speak, the writing on the floor, quite literally? This is a message about keeping your eyes open. But this this is also a message about problem solving, like I said before, because they have given Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees have given Jesus a complicated problem. And it's a checkmate either way, right? Whether he says stoner or let her go, he's going to lose, right? They've given him a complicated problem with no solution, right? Maybe the stakes aren't quite that high in your day-to-day life, but I bet you've been in some situations with complicated problems, with no easy solutions, where it seems like there's no way out, where no matter what you do, you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, that kind of thing. You know what that feels like. And a lot of times I think that The the response that we tend to take, that we're trained to take, is to approach complexity with complexity. We're given a complicated problem, and so I'm going to come up with a complicated solution. 
Oh, uh, the doctor says I need to lose some weight. Well, I'm going to get on 15 different diets and I'm going to have these different workout plans and all these apps on my phone and I'm going to buy all of this equipment and I need better pants and better shoes. I can't work out if I don't have better shoes. And I got to do these things and I got to see this person and this person. And, and you know what? There's so many things that I need to do that maybe I shouldn't do anything, but oh, the doctor says I should. And all of a sudden it's become very, very complicated when you and I both know it's watch what you eat and maybe move your body a little bit. Is that a great example? I don't know, but there are lots of examples. I bet you can think of one that's even better and even closer to what's going on in your life and in your heart, right? It's tempting to approach a complicated problem with a complicated solution. I get that, to gear up, so to speak. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? He approaches a complicated solution through simplicity. He answers these unanswerable questions with another question, doesn't he? Instead of enforcing an agenda, instead of looking for a specific answer, he digs deeper. That's interesting, isn't it? It might be that that's what's called for in your life. Instead of deciding that somebody else is wrong, you might want to take a minute and go, why do they feel like they need to be right about that? Maybe it's not about the facts. Maybe there's a deeper motivation that you're never going to get to if all you want to do is make them wrong. Something interesting going on when we just dig a little bit deeper and when we approach this digging with simplicity instead of complexity. It's that whole Occam's razor thing. In my day job, I work in the software industry. I, I make web stuff. Long story. But one of the things that we talk about a lot, whenever there's a new idea, someone will say, what's the MVP? And that doesn't mean most valuable player like it does in sports. The kind of people I hang out with don't do sports. Um, these are not the people that work on computers now. MVP doesn't mean most valuable player. MVP means minimum viable product. Minimum viable product. In other words, someone in the room will say, okay, we've got these great big ideas for this new widget we're going to launch, this new thing that's going to happen. But if we try to make it this great big thing, we're never going to get there. We're never going to solve the problem. It's too big and we don't know enough about how that's all going to work. Kind of sounds like everything, right? It's not just a software thing. It kind of sounds like life. Maybe you've got big dreams about how it's all going to go, but those dreams can be so big that the gulf between there and here is insurmountable, you know? So take a minute and ask yourself, just like we do in our meetings, what's the minimum viable product. Someone in the room will say, you know what, that's great, but what's the simplest thing that could possibly work? Because we can build from there. We're going to learn some things. If we just put something out there, we have an idea, a simple one. The scribes and Pharisees approached Jesus with condemnation and guilt and punishment, and Jesus just said, why do you need to believe in guilt and punishment? Anybody here without sin? Raise your hand, <laughs> raise your stone, you know, that kind of a thing. The rescue is not through a fight, but through the truth. And, and I love the idea that in asking a question instead of, a make, instead of making a statement, Jesus arrives at a very simple thing that's good for you to know too. You ready? Here's how all of this works. You ready? If you're writing stuff down, this is a thing to write down. 
The solution is baked into the problem. Every time, the solution is baked into the problem. What I mean by that is if there is something that is giving you stress, static, frustration, is it's causing problems in your life, I guarantee that that thing is also a messenger and the message that it bears is the solution to that problem. If you just ask, if you just look, if you just think about things in that way, take a look at your life. There are things that are going really well. Bless you, you know, good for you. There are things that are not going so well. There are things that you work on because you and I have growing places because we're here to grow. That's okay. It would be weird if you had no growing to do. That's not how any of this works. But take a look at those growing places and you will find that each and every one of them is telling you what it needs. If you just ask instead of stating, this is a really, really big deal. But part of the big deal is at the end of the story, Jesus says to the woman, I don't condemn you either. Now, we knew that because it's Jesus. I don't condemn you either. And he says something that's really important that a lot of people miss. And it's key to the Christian theology. Jesus says to this woman, go and sin no more. Now, go and sin no more, or some variation of that, don't mess up again, don't do it again, is the kind of thing that Jesus says a few times to people. He should get it on a bumper sticker, if only he had a car. You know, it's that kind of a thing. Go and sin no more is almost a meme. It's almost a catchphrase for Jesus. Now, why is that important? Well, there's a lot of people who think that sin is part of who you are like breathing, like having mass and weight, like, like any of these things, like owning skin. <laughs> you know, I have skin. It's part of me. People think and people talk about the idea that sin is a fundamental characteristic of who you are because you're yucky from the start, miserable sinner, worm of the dust. You've heard this before. and Maybe that's why you're watching this instead of watching whatever they got going on over there, right? I get it. But think about this for a minute. These simple words in this simple moment. First of all, the the whole statement that Jesus is not really interested in punishing the sinner. This is good. Now we know that. We talked about affixing a punishment and deciding what somebody else ought to have happen to them and how that is a surefire way to miss the point. We talked about that before. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is not interested in punishing this person who clearly did something wrong or whatever? He didn't care about that. Something deeper going on there. Go and sin no more means that Jesus does not believe that sin is an inherent characteristic. He does not believe, by this simple phrase, he does not believe that sin is part of who you are. Think about that. Because there are so many places that you have been, that I have been, that told you that you can't get away from it. But Jesus says, don't do it, just don't do it anymore. Don't mess up like this. Don't learn things the hard way. Don't sin anymore. Now, we can break off and talk about how sin doesn't mean some earth-shattering change. We've talked about that idea before. If you've been around me for more than five minutes, you've heard my whole chunk about the idea that the word itself, sound familiar? The word itself comes from an archery term. 
Sin is what happens when you don't hit the bullseye. If, if it was about bowling, it would be gutter ball. It's that. And if you're bowling and you make a gutter ball, you don't go, I am a miserable gutterer. There is no redeeming me and this will define me forever. No, you pay the guy another couple of bucks to bowl a few more frames and you figure it out. If you don't hit the bullseye, if you sin in archery, you don't leave the arrow there. Hopefully you learned a little bit about how the wind's blowing and the quirks of the bow you're using and whatever else, and you learn and you get better. That's all the word means. It just means an error. It doesn't mean a defining characteristic. That's huge. That's just in the etymology of the word, the definition of the word. But Jesus says, go and sin no more. That means he believes you can do without sin. He wouldn't say, go and breathe no more, go and have mass no more, go and have skin no more. You know, all of those crazy things I said a minute ago. He wouldn't say that because they're part of who you are. You can't say that. It would be weird, right? But think about the fact that he says, go and sin no more. He's saying to you that sin, that error, that learning it the hard way, that being flawed or whatever is not an essential characteristic. So take a minute with me. And think about what else is not essential in your life that somebody told you you had to have, that suffering that you had to have in order to be you, to earn a place with God or something, God who loves you. Think about the fact that, that all of these things that we have been told that we have to have, this no goodness and this flawed nature, what do they say about that creator? Aren't we made in the image and after the likeness? Remember back on week one of all of this? Hmm. Doesn't mean we don't have growing to do. Of course we have growing to do. But you don't have to do it the hard way if you don't want to. If you just pay attention to what's going on. If you remember who you are. All of this is leading up to the ethical lesson about judging. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, Jesus might say, what does it matter what you think about what somebody else has done? not about you. Whatever happens to them and whatever happens as a result of what they've done, that's between them and God, right? Over and over again in the Old Testament, we read the battle is the Lord's. In other words, it's God's job to do that, not yours. Oh, this person, they've done all of these wrong things. Yeah, and you know what? Being that kind of person is a punishment in and of itself. Stop judging them and start judging what you're going to do differently about your own life. There is something that you can learn about all of that. What somebody else does is not about you except about what you do next. That part is about you. So what will you do? How can you apply simplicity to your current situation? How can you remember that, you know what, I don't have to learn this the hard way. I promise you were made wonderfully and beautifully, perfectly. Of course, you've got some growing to do because you're a part of infinity. There's always more to this journey. But you can't even start on the journey if you think that your feet are broken. You have what it takes to move one simple step forward to look around and go maybe there's something important written on the walls written in the sand written in the the dust of my life 
there's something beautiful going on. If we just stop worrying about what other people are doing and start thinking about who we are and who we need to be for the world to be a better place. We've got a lot to let go of, don't we? We've got a lot to set free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you. <sighs> Thanks for this time. Thanks for being a part of this. I'm so happy to be on this journey with you. I'm so glad for all the feedback I'm getting. Thank you for the questions that you send in for those emails and text messages and social media, whatever you want to call them. Thank you for liking and subscribing and sharing. It means a lot to me if you take a minute and share this video someplace. Share it on your Facebook page. Email it to somebody. There's a share button right over there somewhere. Hit that button. It means a lot. And as you know, we can't continue to bring these messages to you without your gifts of love and substance. And so we're so grateful that you are supporting this ministry. And you can do that by going to donate.waterandstonechurch.com. Let's take those gifts of love and substance and hold them in our minds and hearts as we bless this offering together. God is my source, my unending supply. With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. In Jesus' name, amen. And as always, I want to remind you that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're not doing it alone. You are part of a family. And in this family, we pray together. Let's share our dedication prayer. God, I'm ready for change. My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. Amen. Now go show the world what love looks like today. I'll see you next week. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube or you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.